this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we are about to embark on the Word and look at your Word, we look to you for truth and understanding. So Lord, we give this time to you. We pray that you open the eyes of our hearts to really truly hear from you, not from me. And if it's not from you, don't let me say it. Make it from you. Lord, I pray for this nation. I pray that we learn to look to you for unity. And I pray that we look to you for understanding. I thank you for all that you do. We pray it all in your son's holy name. So we're in the Psalms. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have lost hope? many of us come to the point in our lives that said, can't get any better, I'm not going to keep going, forget it, I'm done. Gas prices are higher, our money isn't going as far as it is or used to go, everything seems to be extremely expensive, our country is at a breaking point and there's so much division and there's no real unity for United States. We're struggling right now. Our representatives live by what's good for thee, but not for me, and how they rule. They pass laws that don't apply to themselves, but only to us. The news media is only about sensationalizing the news, yellow journalism, instead of reporting the facts. We're socially connected like never before. in general is that people don't want to come back to church because of one reason or another, and they find excuses to not come to church. Too tired. Worked all day. Church doesn't preach love anymore. It preaches hate and intolerance. I literally was told that online this week. I preach hate and intolerance. you got to be kidding me because I don't agree with your lifestyle. It's hateful and intolerant. By the way, I wasn't the one who came up with that message. It was God. So you can hate God all you want. But I'm going to preach from the Word so I can't avoid the tough things in Scripture, like many preachers today do. I was actually told this week that if I keep preaching this hate and intolerance, then my church is just going to get older and older and older, and you're going to all just die off. is hateful and intolerant. Many people in the church today don't care about prayer. We have people who have come here before who said, my church doesn't pray, do you guys? Absolutely. Come and pray with us. Every Wednesday we're praying. Because prayer in most churches in America have gone by the wayside. They don't care. And the reason being is that most people who are praying don't see God answering their prayers. Forgetting that no is an answer. spend their time thinking that God's a genie in a bottle. They pray that they can spend the things that they want on themselves, 
this lottery? Why? Why would God ever give you the answer to winning a lottery? Because once you get the money, which is really what your heart is after, you won't need God. So why would he give you that? Why would he do that? Yet we pray constantly that God would just give us something. But people forget that God doesn't take away our free will. So most of the time he doesn't answer our prayers because we're bad or he says it no. Because we're looking to spend it on all the wrong things. We live in a world that is a have versus have nots. Am I close? I know that people want things in this life and in church. They won't come to this church because we don't have certain ministries. Because we don't do what certain churches do. We don't sing the way certain churches sing. We don't have chairs versus pews here. We fight for all the wrong reasons in America today. I mean, I love it. We talk about having less money and their money isn't going as far, and yet I'm out on a weekend driving to go get some food, and I see there are tons of people driving around. I'm thinking, oh, okay. Americans are mad that gas is $5 a gallon. Yet we're all still doing it. We're all still driving. People don't come to church because we don't sing the songs they hear on the radio. They find a church that gives them what they're looking for. Instead of trying to find a church going to preach the truth. This is the world we're living in right now, and if you don't see this or believe this, then I'm not sure what to tell you, because I know I'm telling you the truth. It's what's happened. Many people have come to me, pastor, pastor, pastor. I get emails from people. (laughs) It's funny. guy telling me this week, I was listening to your sermon can't stand it. Awesome. Thank you for listening. I'm glad you can't stand my preaching. I could sit up here and say, um, uh, you know, like, after every other word. I can't stand that kind of preaching. The reality is they were mad at God, not at me, because they weren't getting what they wanted. So this week I'm asking us, all of us, last week, from who? The Lord. Let me ask you guys a question. Where does our help come from? We say the Lord. Do we truly believe it? When we're down and out, life hits us hard, where can we turn to find true peace, true comfort, true joy, true hope? Because this week, the psalm from David is still, he's still in this hopeless state. He's saying, what's going on, Lord? I am so hopeless. Last week he was helpless. Now he has no hope. And he's saying, God, please. I prayed for help. Now I need hope. David can't figure out what's going on in his life. And he doesn't understand what's going on in the world around him. And he's struggling. He's like, my government's crazy. My money isn't going as far. Things aren't doing the way that I thought they were going to be doing. So what am I supposed to do? Where's my hope come from? That's the question David has. And we need to find our hope. Because many of us are still in a really bad place in this life. 
just like David. We know people like this. We see it all around. We can help because we know where we get our coke from. We can pass out water on the 4th of July in a big parade because we know where we get our coke from. We can love people and their children because we know where we get our coke from. It's not from all the programs and ministry. I'm just telling you now, there's some really great movies out there that talk about all these different churches and what they're doing to draw people. Charles Spurgeon so rightly said it, once you create a circus so people will come to the circus, once you stop doing the circus in church, they stop coming. We need hope. So let's open scripture and see what the Lord has for us today in regards of hope. Because this is Psalm 13. Where does our hope come from? Listen to it this way. It says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord. My God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Do you see it? Do you see the state that David's in? He's in a hopeless state. Merriam-Webster defines this word as having no expectation of good or success. Not susceptible to remedy or cure. Incapable of redemption or improvement. Giving no reason to expect good or success. Incapable of solution, management, or accomplishment. Do you think that David, we are in that state right now? state, that we're stopping the idea of murdering people? Or does it make you hopeless? Because women can't do with their body what they want to do. What's it really doing? Where are we at? Is David or are we despondent about life in general? Are we resigned or despaired to the point of loss of effort to keep moving forward in this life? David's down and out. He's struggling. He's being attacked. He's looking for help last week, and now he's looking for hope this week from the Lord. And he's saying, I don't know where to find you right now. He's crying out to God, don't let my enemies exalt over me. I need your help, Lord. I need hope. Show me something. This might upset some of you, but Fox News published a story about 10 years ago. Pistorius was a 12-year-old boy. 
And he had mysterious illness began to slowly rob him of his ability to walk, talk, and communicate on any level at all. And then finally he descended into a vegetative state. What the doctor said was baffled and the family was despairing. His parents actually were told to take their son home. His time left was limited. It's hopeless. You're hopeless. His time left is limited. He's going to die. Take him home. In fact, his time wasn't limited. Mark just kept going. Just kept going. He kept going, said his mother. The first two years, Mark was indeed in a coma-like condition, motionless, unresponsive, and utterly unconscious. But some two years into his ordeal, his mind began to wake up. Unfortunately, his mind was the only thing that began to wake up. Martin was soon fully conscious, but unable to communicate with the outside world. No one, not even his closest caretakers or doctors, knew that he could hear and see everything that was going on around him. surely go insane. His lowest moment came when he heard his mother say, I hope he died. She was so full of despair, she later and unsuccessfully attempted to take her own life. As for his father, for the next decade, his father, his life consisted of getting up early in the morning, driving his helpless son to a special care center, then picking him up eight hours later and driving him home where he would bathe and feed him and then put him to bed. But Martin remained trapped in that frozen body. And he said this, I knew I was and who I was and where I was. And I understood I'd been robbed of a real life. Suddenly, after more than a decade of imprisonment in his own body, Martin began to once again feel his members slowly and painstakingly movement followed and then came a rigorous rehabilitation and in his late 20s he learned to use a computer to speak and soon after he had a government job when he graduated from college with a degree in computer science and he started his own web design company and married his wife Joanna in 2003 Martin's story is his story it may sound far fetched Institute of Neurological Orders and Strokes stated it's a lock-in syndrome. That's what it's called. In fact, it's a real disorder that many have fallen into. The parents are hopeless. They don't know what to do. And lock-in syndrome is a rare neurological disorder, basically characterized by paralysis. And the only way you usually can communicate is by blinking your eyes. He couldn't even do that. But he heard for a decade his parents despair, hopelessness. He witnessed everything that was going on in his life. And he started to despair his own life. But God graciously started to give him back the ability to read. And he went through all of the things I told you about so he could speak again. Then he got married. Martin's amazing and unbelievable story is once again in the news with a recent book called The Ghost Boy. He also has a new NPR radio show called Invisibilia, and it is starting in 2015. So the real question is, when you're sitting in hopelessness, 
How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Presenting a state of hopelessness. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the days? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. How many of us are shaken by the world we live in right now? How many of us believe that we can find hope? Listen to what David says. Chapter, or verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I've trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Whose salvation? God's salvation. He's trusted in whose steadfast love? His own, right? His family's love. That's who he's trusted in. That's what David's saying here, right? I I trusted in my family and their steadfast love towards me. My mother would never say, I hope you die. Right? She would never try and take her own life. Right? Isn't that the world we're living in right now? What's good for me is good for me. What's good for you is good for you. As long as it doesn't affect me, I'm okay with it. Really? Is that what we're living by? trusting in our steadfast love that God gives us? Are we studying, trusting in the fact that we rejoice in His salvation for us? Who are we trusting in? Where's our hope really truly coming from? It can only come from one place. So that's why David says in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt says, I trust in God, not my government. Thought that was a great shirt. Then I wanted to buy my wife a shirt that says, I hate people, but coffee helps. I thought that was wonderful. We can walk around town. I, got, I also found a shirt that says, I understand. I don't care. Christianity is quite simple. 
It's one beggar begging for food, showing another beggar where to get the food from. Just so you're aware, that's where I'm at. David trusted in the steadfast said in Hebrew, the benevolent, merciful, grace-filled, zeal, adoration, and love of God. That's what steadfast means. David knew that God would come through in the end. He might not have experienced it now on earth, but in the end, in heaven, David would have fully experienced chapter 11 and find out how many people who hoped in God and had faith in God got everything that they wanted. I'm going to spoil it for you. None of them. None of them got what they wanted. Amazing to me. Abraham didn't get what he wanted. Moses didn't get what he wanted. David didn't get what he wanted. None of them. That's the hall of fame of faith. is hope? What is true hope? Let me ask you this. What is hope? So Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible defines it as an expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. It's an expectation or belief in fulfillment of something desired. Perhaps you might be hurting. There's still hope. You might be sick. There's still hope. You might be locked in your own body. There's still hope. Present hurts and uncertainty over the future holds create the constant need for hope. Worldwide hunger, poverty, disease, and human potential to generate terror and destruction create a longing for something better. It really truly does. Historically, people have looked to the future with a mixture of longing and fear. I'm trying my best to help my children not look to the future with longing and fear. But unfortunately, I had a conversation with one of my children. And he said to me, I'm scared, Dad. All that's going to happen when I get older. What am I going to do? How am I going to live in this life? The only thing I could say to circumstances are in your life, no matter what doesn't change, Jesus never changes. He's always there. He went through some of the worst things you can imagine, some of the worst temptations you can imagine. And you know how he got over all of those things and overcame and adapted to all of those things? He prayed and knew the word of God. And when Satan tried to tempt him in the desert, he used the word of God to attack Satan's attack. Satan knows the scriptures. He knows how to twist the scriptures to fit his wants, to fit his narratives. And Satan said, no, no, no. I'm not going to let you do that. And he went back and said, my hope comes from the Lord. And many have concluded that there's no reasonable basis for hope. Therefore, to hope in to live is an illusion. Scripture relates being without hope to being a world without God. Remember that you were at a time 
separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope without God in the world, Ephesians 2.12. Paul's reminding them and us we're in the same situation. However, Abraham is a model of faith and hope. And many go to the passage, like I said, in Hebrews 11, and in spite of the reality surrounding Abraham, this is what it says, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Romans 4. Christian faith and hope, like Abraham's, are based on the faithfulness of God. chairs versus pews, not new carpet, not a new building. Our only hope comes from the faithfulness of God. That's it. We look for hope in all of the other things. When you're married, you look for hope in your spouse. It ain't going to come from there. You better know Jesus so that when your marriage is having trouble, you can look to Jesus and know that there's always going to be hope inside my marriage. When you're single and you're looking for somebody and you're desiring that, that's great. However, your relationship needs to come first with God. Then something else may come along. May, I don't say guarantee anything. God doesn't guarantee us anything except faithful and steadfast and he loves us. He also says, quoting Joshua 1, 5, Hebrews 13, 11, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you have that hope, church? Are you living in that truth? Because I can tell you right now, I painted the picture for you. The world we live in is hopeless. Our leaders, and I hate calling them leaders because they never were leaders, the representatives that we have in government are supposed to represent our interests. From what I see, they represent their own interests. Never seen anybody who was poor go into government and then become rich. Yet I see it today. And so we need our hope to come from God, not from our government. As the Apostle Paul wrote in his struggles, why? We felt that we had received the sentence of death. We felt that we received the sentence of death. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God will give you more than you can handle so you can learn to lean on Him. Anyone who preaches that message is lying to you. Right here's the example. We felt that we received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Paul says, On God who raises the dead, He delivered us from so badly and deadly a peril, and He will soon deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, and He will deliver us again. This is 2 Corinthians. This is Paul talking about how horrible his life was. He thought he was going to die. And yet he knew that his hope was coming from God. This is why when someone says, God will not give you more than you can handle, they're wrong. given hopeless situations in our lives, we have to turn to God. We have to. There's no 
he's the one who's going to deliver us from hopelessness. Hope is, therefore, not irrational, but rather it's based upon God who has proven himself to be faithful. That's the beauty of it all. God's proven himself to be faithful over and over and over again. Biblical hope is a hope that what God will do in the future. God's going to establish his kingdom on earth. I said this before, we're we're finishing our Proverbs study and our Sunday evening service, and then I thought about, you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to start a a thing in Revelation, a sermon series in Revelation. (laughs) One of the women, you know her, Gloria, she said to me, oh, no, Pastor, don't do that. I said, why not? She goes, every pastor before you who did that is no longer here. (laughs) I said, okay, Gloria, maybe you're you're your warning. Maybe I'll heed your warning. over and says to him, everything was in boxes. What are you guys moving? Nope, we just like to see how fast we can put everything in boxes. Here it comes on. He'll end ball. Anyway, at the heart of Christian hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the very heart of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not our circumstances or our situations. Let me say that again so we truly understand where we get our hope from. The very heart of Christian hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not your circumstances or situations. It might be bad. It might be hard. But our hope comes from the Lord. You know, it's hard to imagine that claustrophobic fear, that hopeless bondage of being locked in one's own body, unable to walk, talk, communicate with the outside world. Sadly, there's even more fearful bondage, one that's far more common. It's the vegetative state suffered by every person who's cut off from God because of sin. Every person who's cut off from God. And that vegetative state because of sin. who are dead in transgressions and sins will find newness of life. Ephesians 2. In those days we were living apart from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises of God he made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope and patience. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. Ephesians. How many of us, when we hear the story, when we read the book of Ephesus, because of what's going on in the world today, how many of us are trusting in the hope of the Lord's steadfast love? How many of us are able to rejoice in our salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. We sing hymns, we sing hymns in this church. 
praise the Lord with our songs. Worship's a choice. Worship's a choice. I literally had someone say to me, if not last week, the week before, I can't stand our services during worship. What? Yeah, I don't like them at all. Why? Huh, same old hymns. Worship is a choice. It doesn't matter what we sing. We're singing to God, not how we're singing. Sure, it'd be great to have drums and guitars and all this. We just don't have that right now. We don't have enough people to do those things right now. We do the best that we can do because we love God. And those people are, they're doing this right here. They're volunteering their time, talents, and energies so that we can worship God together. Well, we don't have this in the church. I need something else. I want all these things. I need to have, it's like, wait a minute, what are you doing to serve?
loved each other well. That's where all hope comes from. It's not for you and I. We live to store up treasures in heaven. When we live to share Jesus Christ, the hope that we have with others, we were just invited last night to one of my football kids' graduation parties, and we went. He gave me a giant hug. This is a sweet young man. I love him even more now that I know that he's got a D1 scholarship from Wayland all the way to Michigan State is where he's trying to go. Yeah. So this kid's a wonderful kid, but we had a chance to share Jesus Christ with his family, and it was amazing. He gave me the longest talk I ever had from a kid that was like, oh, this is so cool. I said, let me know when you have your games, when you when you have your track meets, let me know. I'll definitely travel to Michigan State and bring my kids and my family, and we'll go watch you. He's like, oh, great. By the way, Coach, we have a track meet. First one is at Grand Valley. I'm like, Grand Valley, awesome. But this is what we're trying to instill in this community as a hope, that this is a church that's going to love people well, no matter what. No matter what happens in their life. Some of these people in this county and in this area, Allegan, they need hope. Because they're not finding it in other things. And so we as a church need to give out hope. That's what the 165-year anniversary birthday party is all about. This place has been around longer than Moline. I've been asked by Moline and a couple of the other pastors in the area to do a service together. I'd love to do that. We're going to arm wrestle first, and we'll see who wins all the congregations. Yeah, we win. We win. I don't know. Yeah, I lose there. But but we're we're asked. Do you know that Moline's been around for 150 years? We've been around for 165 years. Does that blow your mind? I know churches that have been around that started eight years ago and they're completely gone now. They're done. They shut their doors. And I know that that has affected people and they've lost hope in the church. So what we want to do is encourage those people and let them know that they're always welcome here and they're loved here and that we would do ministries here with those people who are losing their faith and hope and trust because they're locked in their sins. We need to show them the keys and that we have the keys of getting out of a life that's hopeless and into a life has freedom, peace, and trust, and joy, love, hope. That's my message today. We are the church that shows hope to the hopeless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, as we look at the world that we're living in today, it is very hopeless. There's fighting. We have people who are ready to murder others because they don't get their way. I mean, it's unreal. Lord, I pray that you would come and affect the hearts and minds and souls of every representative in government, and they would turn from their ways and turn to your ways. They would truly look to the Bible and find the truth and follow the truth and study the truth and stop claiming to be Christians and claim that they actually are following you. 
prayed, Lord, that the leaders of the church, the universal church, would start running to you, start looking to you. We aren't to live in fear of man, because what, what can man do to us? We're in fear of that God who can destroy both us and our soul. So, Lord, we run to you. We look to you for hope. As David said, don't let our enemies exalt over us, but help us, Lord. Help us to find that true hope. Help us to trust, trust in your steadfast love because our heart rejoices in your salvation. Lord, we're going to sing. I invite those people up now to sing because we're going to sing to the Lord because you have dealt with us.